0: story you're bursting to tell the world? Are you sick of being rejected by the publishing establishment? Do you want to inject a little punk rock DIY ethos into your indie author career? Join me, best-selling indie author Steph Green, for Rage Against the Manuscript, where we explore how to tell your story, find your readers, and build a badass author brand. For more info, Check out our website at www.rageagainstthemanuscript.com Hey writers, Steph here again and welcome to another episode of the Rage Against the Manuscript podcast. Today we're going to be talking about crowdfunding and we're going to be specifically talking about the two big crowdfunding platforms that most authors are talking about. And that is Kickstarter and Patreon. So I do just want to say first that uh, there are lots of different types of crowdfunding platforms. There aren't just these two dudes, but these are kind of the biggies. And, you know, if you're thinking about crowdfunding, it's, you know, the first kind of thing to think about is to be really careful about choosing the right platform. And so, you know, while probably these two, Kickstarter and Patreon, are going to be on your radar... Um, have a look at the other platforms as options. The most common other platforms are, so one is Give a Little. The thing to know about Give a Little is that unlike Kickstarter where you have to set a specific goal and if you don't reach that goal you don't get the money. Give a Little allows you to accept money even if you don't reach a goal which you do still set. Um, But the thing to know about Give a Little is that the public perception of it is quite different to kickstarter so kickstarter people are on there to like back cool projects and get cool shit and on Give a Little, people are often there because they are supporting a cause or they're supporting a family member who's going through something. So people aren't really browsing the platform looking for like cool shit to support. So it's you know it's possibly not the best platform to kind of look at. Um, there's also another platform called IndieGoGo, which is kind of like Kickstarter for people who don't like Kickstarter for various reasons. A uh, smaller community, um, but has you know mostly the same benefits as Kickstarter. Uh, And other platforms are, so there's sort of often local platforms that are designed in the same way. So here in New Zealand we have a couple of different um, local platforms. One's Pledge.me and the other one is Boosted. And so it's basically Kickstarter but it's on a local level. And so if your project is really suited to a local audience and a local flavour, Then looking at these local platforms where you're competing against significantly fewer other projects is probably a really good idea. And the other... The final thing to consider is, of course, if you are a writer and you do not safe for work kind of work um, is that you've got to think about the fact that, so for example, Patreon doesn't allow creators who do um, sort of sex type work and not safe for work kind of imagery and writing. They don't allow them on the platform and there are platforms that do allow this type of work. OnlyFans is the one that's been in the media recently because uh, celebrities have been using and misusing, and essentially scamming people on the platform, which is really designed for sex workers and people who are doing this um, this kind of sexual content. Um, but that's definitely one to have a look at if you know if you're writing erotica or things like that. So that's sort of the first thing about crowdfunding is to choose the right platform. So I'm going to dive deep into uh, both Kickstarter and Patreon. I'm going to talk to you about the success that I've had with crowdfunding and also all of the terrible mistakes that I have made. So let's get into it. So first of all, Kickstarter. So what is Kickstarter? Kickstarter is basically a big platform where creators can design a project and put up a a, a kind of a page all about their project. This is my cool thing. This is how I'm going to make my cool thing. And if you give me some money, you will get to be involved in the process. And you will also get, at the end of it, some rewards, usually including the cool thing. So there are lots of different categories on Kickstarter, and these categories, you know, there's like technology, there's art, there's fashion, um, all sorts of categories. And there is a books category. Now, the books category is definitely not the biggest category on Kickstarter. It's probably one of the smaller ones, and it's also one of the ones where the most successful projects uh, tend to be a lot smaller in scale, and that's because On the platform, you're largely using it to back really interesting technology projects. Um, So there's one big project going on at the moment, um, which is like a laser cutter 3D printer uh, kind of jam. I don't really understand, but it looks really cool. Um, There's been projects which are like um, really fancy outdoor tents. Um, I've backed projects which are like... um, like lunch boxes like modular reusable lunch boxes those kind of things um, and the other big 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 area of Kickstarter is games so um, computer games uh, video games but also like board games now I've personally bet quite a lot of board games on Kickstarter On Kickstarter, when you create your project, you set a goal for the project, so how much money you want to raise, and you will not get the money at the end of your project run, so you've got 30 to 45 days, usually, to run a project, and at the end of that period, you need to have raised that amount of money, so people have to pledge the amount of money that they're going to give you, and at the end of that period, if you've raised that amount of money, then Kickstarter will take the money off of the credit cards of your pledges, and they'll give it to you minus their fees. And if you don't raise that amount of money, no one gets charged, and your project is sort of deemed not, not going to work. You can rerun a project that hasn't, hasn't succeeded, and, you know, kind of fix all the mistakes that you might have made, or change, you know, how much money you're going to ask for, um, but Yeah, so that's how Kickstarter works. Usually when people pledge on a Kickstarter project, they pledge at a certain level because they get a certain reward. So you set up these rewards. So you say if you pledge $5, I'll give you a digital copy of my book. But if you pledge $25, you will get a hard copy of the book delivered to you. And if you pledge $50, you get a book and a really cool T-shirt. And so you set these different reward levels and people choose the reward that they want. It's really cool. So I'm going to tell you about my project, my Kickstarter project that I did, which was two years ago now, which is crazy. So my friend uh, Brie and I, we created... So my friend Brie and I, we created a children's book, and this book was called Only Freaks Turn Things Into Bones, and it was a children's picture book about a little grim reaper who gets bullied, and he kind of learns about himself, and what makes himself different, and he kind of learns to you know, not just accept, but celebrate the things that make him different. And it's a story I had in my head for a long time, but I was kind of thinking I had to do all the imagery myself, all the illustrations myself, and I just never had the time or the the talent to do it. And then I met Bree, and she was like, yeah, this is going to be really cool. So we decided to do it. In the end, we were successful. Uh, We had our Kickstarter for a month, and in in that month, we raised about $8,000 New Zealand, which is about $5,000 US, and we just scraped past our goal by about like $50. So we just made it, um, and in the end, the book was picked up by a small press publisher, um, Odyssey Books. And so, you know, originally we planned to self-publish it, but then in the end, we were picked up by the small press, so we didn't have to. So that was that was quite a difference in um, the the process of the, of the book. What we did when we created our Kickstarter. Um, was, so first of all, I did a whole bunch of research on the platform, so I looked really carefully at the projects that succeeded and the projects that failed, and, you know, what made projects really successful, um, and what were the projects that I had personally banked and that I really enjoyed, um, and, what, and what kind of rewards did these projects offer, and how did they kind of organise themselves. And so one thing I noticed on Kickstarter is that Unlike sort of other platforms where they really rely on you having an existing audience, and it is important to have an existing audience, um, because those are people who are going to buy your Kickstarter project. So while it is important to have that, Kickstarter is a discovery platform. So there are people that go to Kickstarter just to pack things, you know, even if they have no idea who you are. But those are certain types of people, and they're looking for certain types of projects. So, you see the projects that do really well in the books category, um, and some of them are, so for example, um, a kind of journals and planners do really well, children's books do exceptionally well, especially children's books with kind of quirky. Quirky ideas about them or children's books that teach kids about something specific. So teach kids about science. Obviously the most backed book project on Kickstarter of all time was the Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls books. Which are all about women doing really cool things. So kind of children's picture books with some kind of messaging or sort of deeper meaning or deeper context. Uh, and kind of books that can be given as gifts So, you know, lots of like colouring books With like quirky, you know, interesting things Lots of really interesting cookbooks There was a cookbook inspired by the Gilmore Girls um, That did quite well um, I've got a cookbook called the Necronomnomnomnomnom Which is a cookbook inspired by H.P. Lovecraft It kind of looks like this ancient um, occult tone. It's really cool So, things like that that can be given as gifts, or it can be like really cool things you can put on your shelves, Um, lots of art books, so just often things with really great visuals, Um, and yeah, kind of um, journals and and things like that, things that people can fill in and feel like they improve their lives, and so these are the kind of things that do well. So, you know, if your project is along one of those lines, then Kickstarter might be a good place for it. And if it's not, then you, you know, and you still want to do crowdfunding, you've just got to think that probably you're not going to be able to tap in to that discovery potential. So first, you do your research and you look at books that are like yours on Kickstarter and what people have done well and what people haven't done well. Then you identify some key audiences. So we identified with our book about the Grim Reaper. So we sort of identified who are people who are going to be buying this book. So the book's for kids, but kids obviously aren't browsing Kickstarter looking for books to read. So who is buying the book? So we thought there's three audiences. There's sort of goths and like alternative people who really like the little death aspect of the book. So that's one audience. The other audience is people in the arts community or the book community, especially here in New Zealand, who like to support creative projects. And then the third group is obviously parents and people who want to give the book to kids as gifts. So these don't necessarily have to be people who have kids of their own. Um, and you know, when I look back on my own Kickstarter usage. Pretty much every single book I've purchased on Kickstarter, and I've purchased about 20, have been children's books, which I then keep in a drawer and then yank out every time I need to give a gift to a friend's (laughs) kit. So now that you've got your audiences, you're going to figure out how you're going to run your campaign, how you're going to organize your rewards, and then you're going to figure out how you're going to reach your, these different audiences with your campaign. And you do all this thinking before you actually hit go on the Kickstarter. So, you know, we try to sort of really keep our rewards really simple. Um, and we tried to have a really good spread of rewards. So you should always have a small reward, which is like just for people who want to back the project but don't necessarily need things. So I think we had like five dollars. You can you get a digital copy of the book, and then we had a there's a button that you can tick, and you can get a thing where people can just donate to the project without getting a reward. So I put that as well because you just never know. So small rewards, and then we had um, what we did was we did. Uh, It was $25 New Zealand, and you could get an early copy of the book. So there was only 50 of those available. And so that was just the the book um, for $25. And then after the 50 had gone, you could get the book for $30, and those were unlimited. But it was kind of encouraging people to back the Kickstarter ASAP so they could get that discount. And that's a really good thing to do, because we're going to talk about that why in a sec. So we tried really hard to not get too bogged down in like other miscellaneous stuff to go with the project. We've um, seen that in book projects, these aren't really the important things that people are interested in. They're good to have, but they're not super important. So we just focused on two 2 non-book rewards, um, physical rewards, um, which were t-shirts, and I wouldn't have usually done t-shirts, because I usually find they look quite naff on Kickstarters, but Brie created a really cool design. It was really funky. It really went with the book quite well. It's the kind of thing I personally would have happily worn, and actually do. Actually am wearing right now. So, t-shirts was one thing we focused on, Uh, and just art prints. So, um, high-quality prints of the artwork from the book and those were just really simple things They didn't require a lot of extra effort on our part uh, or so we thought and so we just had um, a range of different rewards so i think we went right up to about 250 rewards and you got like three copies of the book you got all the art prints you got the t-shirt um, you got a dedication in the book this is one thing to do Um, So, you know, $30 you can buy a copy of the book, but then if you paid, it was $100 or something like that, you would get your name or name of your choice on the first page of the book, so uh, the the dedication page of the book. We put all the Kickstarter backers' names in the back of the book on the acknowledgements page, but only people who paid extra got on the front. And there's other things like that that you can do for books where you know, it's not a reward that you physically have to ship to people. Um, so, you know, like naming a character, um, you know, having a character drawn to look like you, that, you know, that kind of thing. So, once you've kind of thought about the rewards, um, do a little bit of math. Um, it's really hard to do, I struggle with this a lot. It's really hard to do the math because you just have no idea how many of each thing people are going to be buying. Um, But to do sort of as much math as you can and try and figure out the lowest possible goal that you can set that makes the project worth doing. And this is because the sooner you hit that goal in your, say, you've got a month to do the project, the sooner you hit the goal, um, the better it's going to be. And so ideally, if you can hit it in the first three days of the project, then everything else is going to be super sweet. So set that goal as low as possible and then have some ideas for stretch goals. So, you know, we had goals for our $8,000 and then if we hit, like it was $10,000, we did, you know, a separate thing. And then if we hit $15,000, there was like a whole digital coloring book that we could do, something like that. Then the next thing you have to do is set up your Kickstarter page. So tell everyone all the steps about the project and record a video. And like, I really, really, really did not want to do a video. I hate the way I sound. I hate the way I look on video. I was like, people are going to look at my wonky eyes. It's just... I'm going to cringe so much It's just going to be gross But I read so many times that Kickstarter projects that have a video Are like 20 times more likely To be backed So I was like fine we have to do a video So we did a video and it was terrible And I hate it and I'll never watch it again But um, it worked And it was viewed nearly 600 times So it was definitely uh, An important part of why people Chose to back the project with Kickstarter, uh, most people pledge during the first three days of the Kickstarter and the last three days of the Kickstarter. And if you're running a Kickstarter for 30 days, that means there's this like big empty space in the middle, which is you know, filled with self-doubt and fire-breathing dragons. And it's kind of up to you to figure out how you're going to manage this whole thing. So one of the best things that you can do is to sort of cultivate a few people who are going to be like your early supporters because as soon as possible you want people to be backing that project because it's this like kind of social proof thing. When you go to a Kickstarter and you look at the books category you'll see lots of projects and some of them look pretty cool and they'll have like zero out of $500 funded. And seeing that makes you you know, as a buyer, not want to fund that thing, because you think, well, no one else has, so it's, you know, there must be something wrong with it. And you want, as soon as possible, you want to destroy that idea in people. So you want people to go, hey, look, this project was funded in 24 hours. You know, it must be awesome. And that makes them much more likely to want to support it. You know, people want to back things that they already know are going to be a sure thing. So... Talk to your family, talk to your friends, um, and see if you can you can get you know ten people to put their hands up and say, "Hell yeah, I'm going to back you in the first twenty four hours. As soon as a project goes live, I'm going to back it." So see if you can get those people on board really quickly. One thing we didn't do, which I would do again, is something that Erica Swallow talks about in her interview um, that she did with me for How to Rockstar Publishing all about. Her successful crowdfunding. So she has a series of kids books. Um, called Little Launches. Which are all about kids who start their own businesses. And her big um, aim with her projects. Was she got corporate. Effectively corporate sponsors on board really early on. So these are people who want like 20 books. You know maybe they're like an entrepreneurial uh, centre. Downtown or like a startup. up um, center and so they might want 20 bucks um and so she got them really early on um so before she even launched the project sort of two to three months beforehand she was talking to these people and you know getting them to promise that they would buy 20 books or 50 books on the first day so she had on the first day these two i think it was two she had massive injections of funding So immediately, her project looks really good to people. And it's a really good piece of advice, too, um, to be thinking about those larger rewards. And with um, the book projects, you will see that most of the larger rewards are literally exactly what Erica did. are just bigger packages of books. 20 books, 30 books, 50 books, 10 books. Uh, And you may think, well, who's going to want 10 books? Or who's going to want 20 books? Actually, you might be surprised. So, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to add an extra reward, so I would just add them in. Another thing that we did, um, which I do recommend um, with a few caveats, is we hired an amazing publicist, um, um, the lovely Elizabeth Heritage, who I also interview all about book publicity on uh, the How to Rock Self-Publishing course. And so we hired Elizabeth um, to basically get the word out about our project in media. And she got us um, you know, features in the, the national newspaper. Um, I was talking on Radio New Zealand, which is our national radio station, about it. It was super cool. Um, one thing that was really amazing about that was that it gave us a lot of stuff to talk about with our backers through the whole process. So I could email them and be like, hey, I'm on Radio New Zealand today. And every time I talk to our backers the people who'd already backed the project, I was saying, hey, you know, got some new news. And I was also saying, hey, could you share the project with, you know, your friends and family? And so every time I would talk to the backers, we'd get a couple more pledges trickling in. So um, the publicity was definitely awesome. We definitely know that we got, I think we got um, about 20 pledges directly that we can directly attribute to the publicity that we had, um, resulting in, I think it was about, it wasn't quite a thousand dollars of the the funding, Um, so in that way it it didn't quite pay directly for the fee that we paid Elizabeth, but the, the media attention on the project, um, the, the growing of the audience, and we don't know how much came indirectly from funding. So, we don't know how many people listened to my interview on Radio New Zealand and then went to Kickstarter and searched for my project instead of just directly cl- clicking the link on Radio New Zealand's website. So, we don't know how that worked. Or people who Read my Kickstarter articles on um, different pages and then uh, followed me on Facebook and then from there back to project rather than just going directly to the project so we don't we, we don't know it indirectly um, but I definitely feel it was really beneficial for us and I would do it again. So as I was saying we got this whole First three days, look, you get lots of pledges because all your fam- family and friends are like, Yeah, totally gonna support it. And then the last three days, Kickstarter starts sending out emails to anyone who's like clicked on the page or sort of their some of the smaller mailing lists, and they start saying, Hey, this project is running down, um, so it's only got like a few days to go, so you should totally back it. You know, you showed interest in it, um, but you know, m- m- it's time to back it. And so you end up getting a lot of people in those last three days. But what do you do if you've kind of hit your three days and you're not anywhere near hitting your goal? Like I think we were at like $2,000 or $2,500 or something after the first week. And it was showing that this this Kickstarter kind of shows you a graph which says, you know, how you're going and how how close you're getting to your goal. And we were tracking really well, but I knew that the amount of pledges we were going to be getting each day was going to start to drop off, and they did. And so what can you do in that middle period? So one of the big things that we did um, was that I engaged with the Kickstarter community that I was already involved in. So I contacted all of the book projects that I had ever backed. (laughs) Um, So, you know, as a... As a Kickstarter creator, I would get emails sort of every day from other creators who I'd never heard of saying, Hey, you know, you share your project, and I'll share it, you know, with your audience and I'll share your project to my audience. Um, which seems like a really good idea, but because I didn't know them, I was kind of like, well, why? And especially because our project was, you know, hitting in a good upwards trend and a lot of these projects had like no backers. But so what I did was I contacted all the successful backed projects that I had already done. And I said, hey, we've got this project. You know, I'm a backer of yours. I'm a huge fan, Um, which automatically kind of puts me in a good position with them. um, Because who doesn't love hearing from their fans? Um, I was wondering, um, would you be possibly um, share my project with your backers when you send out the next update and I will happily share your next project with my crew um, you know next time you have one and I did that to maybe 10 people and I expected maybe maybe I'd get lucky maybe like one of them would share and I was honestly surprised I think it was like nine out of ten shared and so we ended up with you know, that, that really got us through that kind of middle period. And the other thing that I did during that period was that I shared the project a lot on Facebook. And I was really resistant to this because I felt like, oh, I've already talked about it yesterday. You know, why would I talk about it again? Um, but basically, I noticed that every single time I shared it on Facebook, I would get another backer. Maybe just one. But that's how you... Funder, Kickstarter project one backer at a time, so I sort of realised every time I posted it on Facebook it was a slightly different time, and it probably reached a couple of different people, and a couple of different people shared it, and it just slightly, you know, reached a few slightly different people, so I tried to share it on Facebook every single day, and I definitely would recommend doing that. So... Yeah, so plugging into your communities, um, all that kind of stuff, um, and then as I said, also engaging with your backers, so emailing them throughout the project and telling them about new stuff that's going on. We already had some of Bree's illustrations kind of saved up, so that, that we hadn't shared with the um, sort of on our actual Kickstarter page, and so every week or so we could show people, hey, here's some new artwork that we're you know that we're doing. So always had something to show them and then whenever we showed them stuff we asked them could you share this with your friends and family and then i noticed from studying other kickstarters that they were always reminding people that they could change their pledge and i thought hey that's an interesting idea so I didn't notice this till like close to the end but so I think it was like the last week I said you know started saying to people hey remember you can change your pledge so you know if you if you pledge only for a digital reward but you've decided you actually want the physical book you know you can upgrade your pledge and we ended up with about another two or three hundred dollars from people upgrading their pledges so you know for our project which was quite small that was a significant amount of money, and like I said, in the end, we just scraped through our goal. You know, we Brie and I were starting to talk about, oh, maybe we'll just one of us will just throw in five hundred dollars at the end uh, just to get us past the end. Um, we were worried about it, but we just scraped through. It was amazing. That's my advice about Kickstarter, and it's basically about knowing your audience, um, and about creating something really cool, and about really, really engaging with them. So, yeah, I I really enjoyed doing the project, um, and I would absolutely do it again. Um, Bri and I have talked a lot about doing another one in the future, but we just haven't quite found the right project. Um, So, yeah, so definitely, I definitely loved Kickstarter for the right project. It's a great platform. So, I'm going to talk about is my (laughs) uh, crowdfunding failure. And this was my experience with Patreon. So what is Patreon? So Patreon is a platform that's kind of designed to pick up where Kickstarter lets off. So the thing about Kickstarter is that it's project-based. So you do one project, and then you have to spend a lot of effort getting people to back this project, and then you've got to deliver on the project. And so it's very much focused on this, this one kind of big goal. Whereas Patreon is about long-term support for creators. So it's kind of designed to be like a renaissance patron system, but in online form. So you as a creator, you set up a page and then your audience can support you either a certain amount of money per month or a certain amount of money per thing that you create. Now... You, your patrons are billed monthly and they can choose to cap their pledges, so for example if you make four things in a month um, they, and they usually pay a dollar per thing, then they can cap their pledge at two dollars, so you only get two dollars even if you've created four things. And this is quite important because it really helps patrons feel like they are secure and, you know, they're not going to suddenly have, like, a $100 bill if you decide to go crazy and make a lot of things. So per month or per thing, um, you as the, as the pay. Uh, You, as the creator, you can also set goals. So you can say, you know, my next goal is to hit $500 a month. And then when I hit $500 a month uh, in in Patreon pledges, I'm going to do this cool thing, or I'm going to release this neat thing, or we're going to have a live stream, or something like that. Um, So, and then that helps to encourage people, you you know, especially uh, people like on your mailing list, to, to come and sign up. So each pledge level on Patreon also has membership benefits or rewards that you can set up. So this is kind of like the Kickstarter thing, but it's it's less focused on the goals of a specific project and more about just connecting with you as the creator. So often for, uh, for authors on Patreon, you might say, look, if you back me, dollar a month then you just get access to all the updates and the feed. If you back me at five dollars a month you get um, a short story, an exclusive short story every month. And if you back at twenty dollars a month then I, maybe I'll send you a postcard every month or something like that. Or maybe you get uh, access to a live stream um, every month and you know we sit down all us twenty dollar patrons and we have a chat with me. So it's kind of how Patreon works. The thing about Patreon is it's all about access to you. Kickstarter is all about the project and how cool the project is and how much people want that particular thing. And to a certain extent, you can be really successful on, on Kickstarter even if people don't have, know who you are, even if they don't care who the fuck you are. You can still be successful if your project is really cool and really appeals. That does not work on Patreon. Patreon is all about access to you. And so the only people that give a fuck about that are people who are already super fans of yours. To a certain extent, there is no process for uh, coming up with an audience who's interested in backing you on Patreon because your audience is already created. That is your current audience. The audience is people who are into you. Now this means that if you do not currently have an audience of people who are into you, then you are not going to do well on Patreon. Patreon really is, is designed to be a platform to get more revenue out of an existing audience. So you need an existing audience. Of course, if you know you really want to go down this route, you could set up Patreon when you just have like two people following you and you can say, well, look, the thing is going to grow over years. Um, but I would hesitate to do that because, again, like Kickstarter, if people go to your Patreon page and they see there's hardly any people there, then they you know there's more resistance to joining. So I would definitely you know you're building your audience first and Patreon is about getting more from an existing audience. If you're going to go down the Patreon route, it's really important again to go and have a look at what other authors are doing on Patreon and what's successful and what's not because you'll you'll be surprised at what works and what doesn't. Most Patreon support most, Patre- Most patrons support creators who create free content which is disseminated online. And these are mostly creators who create like multiple items of free content per month. So the big users of, of Patreon are people who uh, support uh, like YouTube stars and. Um, Illustrators and uh, like people who create videos and um, web comics and, and, and things like this. So, people who are putting out, you know, like YouTube channels that are putting out a video a day or a couple of videos a week. So, those are the people that do really well on Patreon. And so, sometimes it's really hard to figure out how to fit your, like, your writing into that model. And for some people it works really well. For some people, it doesn't work at all. Patreon's not really super well suited for long-term projects like novels, um, so if you you'll notice that often the authors who use Patreon use it for one of two things: so either they are sharing writing advice um, or supporting like writing podcast projects. So Joanna Penn, Mark Dawson are two big. Um, you know, big people who do that, but there are a lot of others. Um, The Rote Podcast, which I've appeared on twice, which is LGBT podcast, they have an amazing, vibrant um, Patreon community. So writing advice um, is a kind of great place to sort of work on getting more out of your community on Patreon. And part of this reason is because, um, you know, Part of this reason is because podcasters are producing this new content that's shared online, so it works with the model. Um, And the other reason is that authors in general, we're relatively, you know, especially self-published authors, we're relatively clued up on, like, technology and crowdfunding and what it is and why it might be useful and things like that. So we're relatively well kind of geared towards already understanding how Patreon works and potentially wanting to support people who do great stuff. So that's one use that authors use Patreon for. And the other thing is that um, you'll notice that the authors who are doing the best on Patreon uh, with actual fiction, they tend to be in the specific, uh genres, so science fiction, fantasy, horror. Uh, N.K. Jenison, uh, and Maguire, Cameron Hurley, those are three big names who do exceptionally well on Patreon. And those people are all producing short stories. And I think there are two key reasons why these genres and these people do particularly well. Um, so those are all traditionally published authors, which is quite interesting to think about. Um, but I think one of the, the reasons is that in speculative fiction, these so, first of all, the authors they're often producing a lot of content. So, you know, this is a, a commercial fiction genre. Um, one of the ways that uh, specific authors have always gotten the word out about their novels and their longer projects is to write shorter fiction, um, and also because they've got these created worlds, it's quite easy for them to kind of expand that world with new stories. Um, So short fiction is something that fans of speculative fiction are really used to sort of reading and digesting. So they're more interested in having that kind of content from their favourite writers. And then the second reason is that specfic readers are more... Again, they're more clued up on technology. They're more clued up on um, things like crowdfunding. You know, they're often fans of computer games, of YouTube channels, of podcasts, that they might already back on Patreon. So you're not selling your Patreon as well as you're actually selling the concept of crowdfunding to these people. You don't have to sell them on the concept because they already understand it and use it. Whereas for me, when I did my Patreon, what I was trying to do was create an additional income stream that would rival Amazon. So at the time when I created mine, uh, which was, I want to say 2000... At the time when I created mine, which I want to say was 2017, uh, Amazon was about 85% of my income. And I always worried that one day they would, you know me off or one day they changed something on the back end and that income would dwindle and I knew I wanted to write full time so I was really worried about you know creating a kind of additional income stream that didn't rely on Amazon and I thought well if I could get people if I could get my hardcore fans to support me on Patreon and I could get that up to like a $1,000 a month or something then that would be a really cool way of sort of rewarding super fans while also building this like. Income stream that didn't rely on Amazon. And so I basically made my Patreon. Where people supported me per thing. And they paid basically the same amount. As they would for. Uh, if they purchased a book from Amazon. Except that they then got the actual finished book. A few days early. And they could get the book. In any format that they wanted. So. So. And my books went into Kindle Unlimited for Amazon and this was a way for people who didn't read on the Kindle to get the books. They would get the book a couple of days early and it would be in the format they could read on their Kobo or their Nook or whatever. And I thought this would be a really good idea. And so, so that was my basic pledge level was you got every book I wrote um, and I'd only charge you when the book was done. So and I charge you roughly the same amount that I would um, charge anyone for an ebook. So that was my base level, and then I think my next level um, you got like a deleted a deleted scene from the book or a bonus scene from the book, and then the next level up was maybe like fifteen dollars per thing, and you also got like random um, pieces of writing, and I just sort of pulled old poems and um, kind of stories I hadn't published yet, and things like that, out, like, out of the archives to send people, so random pieces of writing, and then I think there was another couple of larger rewards that no one picked me out, so that's what I did, uh, and I sent out, I wasn't sure if this would fly, so I sent out a survey to all my readers, and I said, let's talk about crowdfunding, you know, would you back me, um, on Patreon, at this would be how it worked, um, How much would you back me know, So I kind of talked to my readers about it. And I ended up with enough fans saying that they would back me. And saying how much they would back me at. That if every single one of them was telling the truth. I would have been earning about $500 a month from Patreon. And I thought, well that's about halfway there. It's about halfway towards where I think it it would be a a really good thing. So I thought, let's give it a go. So I did. And I announced it. And I ended up with about $50 a month. And I thought, well, that's not, okay, that's not too bad. <laughs> and I kept pushing it. And I basically, I did it for a year and I followed the model that I'd set. Uh, and I kept pushing it to my readers and I kept trying to get the you know, more people, more people to, to sign up to it. And it, it just wasn't happening. And I have a decent enough fan base that I felt like $500 a month was not an unreasonable goal. And I just, I could, I think, I think I got over $100, but only like $102 or something. I can't even remember. But it was not much. And so after a year, 18 months, I kind of looked at it and I said, well, actually, you know, it's good a good good experiment, but it wasn't working. Uh, And I shut it down. Now. I am all about, you know, experimenting, trying things. You know, you always got to test things uh, for yourself. So I've seen Patreon work really well for other people. It did not work really well for me. Uh, I think the reason why is that because my audience are romance readers, they are not really used to following other romance authors on Patreon. So not only am I trying to sell them on, hey, come join my Patreon, but I also have to sell them on what the hell actually is patreon and why should i use it it creates an extra step for authors because uh, for readers because they then have to take the book from patreon the, the file that i've given them and somehow get it onto their kindle um and a lot of people don't know how to do that and they're just like I just don't want to be bothered and so i understand that and yeah i think my experiment taught me that my audience uh that is not the platform that they are, at this time, willing to follow me on. Might change in the future, don't know. So that is basically my little chat about crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is a really powerful tool that authors can use, um, but I think it's really important before you dive into crowdfunding is that you have to you have to do your research, you have to figure out who is the audience that I'm targeting, what are the benefits of this platform? So the platform that I've chosen, or which platform am I choosing, and why am I choosing this platform? And I think those are probably the two biggest keys to being successful with crowdfunding. I would love, love, love to talk more about crowdfunding, and I'd love to see if you've done crowdfunding. You know, and especially if you've been successful, um, come and share your projects on the Facebook group. That's all from me today, I really hope you found this weird story about my crowdfunding successes and my failures useful. If you've got a question that you want to ask about self-publishing, you want me to talk about on the show, um, or about writing, I'd love to do start doing some more episodes on the actual writing process. Um, or about building a career as an author, then please head over to the Rage Against the Manuscript Facebook page or email me, steph at rageagainstthemanuscript.com and I will happily talk about it on a future episode. For more totally rad free stuff for writers and for more info about my self-publishing books and course, head over to www.rageagainstthemanuscript.com That's all from me. Happy publishing!